and there will be illumination of your word upon our hearts. Thank you because we continue to experience four drums in our walk with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome to Brace Up. Hallelujah. Come you're welcome. <clears throat> Baby. Yeah, she's already double. You're welcome. Many of you remember our assignments from last month. Who can remember? One, this. Can you remember? Yes, I mean, the assignment is actually two. Two, okay. What was the first one? I think you said you should go and study what you want. And then, yeah. you can look up Good. How many of us went to read what we wrote? How many of us have notes? Here you have a note. Like if I see your notes, if I check your note, I'll see the last meeting's note or not. I'll see list of ingredients. How many of us have notes? Yeah, you should have a note. So only one person has notes. So of course you have. Okay, okay, good. And um, how many of us studied that part of Hebrews? Hebrews, what was the assignment? Hebrews 9 to 12. Yeah. Okay. So it's going to be a spillover assignment. Only one person did it. Tell us what you learned. Clap for our our star students. Yeah. Okay, so tell us what you learned. Um, okay, let's go there. Let's Bible study. No, they have already said they didn't do it, so we are sure they didn't do it. So Hebrews nine. Yeah. Where? Okay. And then um for the explaining um for the explaining faith like to God and faith and all and just tell us that like from the um verse one or tell us that those sacrifices in the old testament could never clear Jesus even had to come down and die 
to um, justify everybody. Yeah. So we should. That's what's now yeah, good. Okay. Now read, read. When even when they have time to go through the book of Hebrews, when he's after seeing that, eh, he now said in chapter 12, verse 2. She's even carrying her Bible already. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. He says, looking unto Jesus. Now, look at what the Amplified Bible says in that, that verse. Who has Amplified? Hebrews 12, 2. Let me read what the Amplified Bible says. He says, Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Do you understand? So, now, the way, let me tell you what happened in the book of Hebrews. Since we are redoing the assignment, this would help you put context to your assignment. Okay? The book of Hebrews was written... 70 AD. Okay? 70 AD. That's the date. Do you understand? Or let's say before 70 AD. I write it down. Yes. Before. Now, here's what was happening around that time in history. Okay. Secondly, it was written to the Jews. How do we know it was written to the Jews? Just go to chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. You see it. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Open your Bibles. We are opening our own Bibles here. Let's open your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 1, from verse 1 and verse 2. If you're there, read, please. I can't hear you. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, two, as in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed head of all things, Good. through whom also he made the world. He said, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake. In time past, he says to the fathers by the prophets. The word the fathers or the phrase the fathers is a term used for Jews when they talk about the patriarchs. Jonas, do you understand? They don't use it for Gentiles don't talk about their forefathers. It's the Jews that have historical their forefathers have historical relevance. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it was re- when he said was written, he said God spake to the fathers by the prophets. The Gentiles did not have that experience. The Jews were the ones that had prophets by which God spoke to them. Do you understand? That had God speaking to them by the prophets. The Gentiles didn't have that privilege. So we know it was the Jews he was talking to. Do you understand? Now, at that point in time, when did I say it was written? 
Now, before 70 AD, the Jews were heavily persecuted. In fact, it is said that that persecution is the greatest in the history of mankind. It was, the persecution was terrible. The Roman government locked the gates of Jerusalem for 40 days. They were so tormented, they were so persecuted that when he opened the gate after 40 days, you couldn't walk on the ground. They were, you, you had to walk on corpses. Do you understand? It was terrible. The death was massive. The suffering was intense. So look, these people said, the Jews said, why should we suffer because we are only believing Jesus? That's why they were persecuted. So they now began thinking, okay, maybe we should go back to the religion of our fathers. You know, the sacrificing of lambs for their sins, going to the temple and all of those things they used to do. They began reconsidering the whole Christianity thing. So the writer of Hebrews wrote to them to show them the supremacy of Christianity over Judaism. Judaism is the religion that was practiced in the Old Testament. The, in fact, the religion that Moses you know, brought, so that's what you know in the Old Testament. It's called Judaism. So he wrote to teach them the supremacy of Christianity over Judaism. So he talked about, he said, the law. Now some of you might not know this. He said the law came by the hand of an angel to Moses. That an angel handed over the Ten Commandments to Moses. He said, but this one, this new covenant came by God himself, the Christ of God. He talked about the high priest in the Old Testament and talked about how Jesus is a greater high priest. He talked about the blood of lambs and talked about the blood of Christ. Jonathan, when he said, look away from all that would distract, what was he talking about? Thank you. He was talking specifically, yes. Do you understand? He said, look away to it, from it. He said, look unto Jesus. He says, the author and the finisher of faith. Do you understand? The author and the perfecter of faith. So that's the context of the book of Hebrews. Okay? So when you do your assignment, I think you would understand better what he was saying. You see his comparison between the system of the Old Testament and Jesus. He did a lot of that kind of comparison and made strong statements. Okay? So that would help you. Whew. Hallelujah. So this topic is how to study your Bible. Please say how to study your Bible. Yeah. This is very important. How to study your Bible. Or rather, that's the theme for this month. And today we'll be focusing on the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets. I've come to realize that many Christians don't understand the Bible when they read it. And so they don't have interest in reading it. Because they just read through the book. They're like, 
this thing is boring. I don't understand it. I don't even get what's happening here. Praise God. So, now our focus for today would be the law and prophets. Okay, and the law and prophet talks about the Old Testament. Okay? And basically, when many people read the Old Testament, they just see three things. Number one, they see stories. Do you understand? I think the, the New Testament doesn't have stories like that. The Old Testament, interesting, interesting stories. Stories like what? David and Goliath. You know, Samson and Delilah. Do you know? Do you know that those two stories I just listed were not mentioned in the New Testament at all? Paul didn't talk about them at all. You know, Paul wrote to third of the New Testament. He didn't teach it at all. Okay? But you know, there are historical events. The story of Samson, or there are historical events. And you can always draw moral lessons from any historical events. You can read about Mahatma Gandhi, for example, and draw lessons from his life. Jensen, you can read about who? Maybe Adolf Hitler and draw some lessons from his life. So yes, these are those are historical events, and you can draw some lessons from those stories. Okay. Now, the next thing that some people see are prophecies. You know, and usually it goes this way. When the prophecy is good, they take it for themselves. When the prophecy is bad, they direct it to the enemy. That's the norm. Or some people, when the prophecy, some people, the prophecy they only see from the Old Testament is there's evil in the land, there's sin in the land. It's just about that. Do you understand? Then the third thing that some people see when they read the Old Testament is laws. And so they will say, you know, the Old Testament says you should not do this. The Bible, or they will say, the Bible says you should not do this. The Bible says you should not do that. You should not do this. And then some people reply with, that's the, that's the Old Testament. And then their own response is what? Is the Old Testament not the Bible? So it always looks like there's a conflict. It's in the Bible. Look at it. And then the, this person says, ah, but it's Old Testament. So today, we want to understand. Here's why. In 1 Corinthians 14, I think verse 34, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion. It means they are not, we don't have contradictions in the Bible. We just have lazy Bible students. Do you understand? We don't have contradictions. Okay. The first thing we should know about the Old Testament, or the law, I'm starting with the law, is that, some people might not know this, that there are 10 commandments and over 600 laws in the books of the law. Starting from Exodus chapter 20 to Deuteronomy 33. Ten Commandments and over 600 laws. 
Have you considered keeping 600 laws before? Can you even keep 600 names in your head? Because you had to know the law. Do you get? You had to know it. We have friends. You know, and sometimes our friends tell us, oh, please, don't do this again. And then you do it and you say, but I, won't. You say, ah, I forgot. Just one law he gave you. You forgot. But the Jews had Ten Commandments and over 600 laws. The second thing you need to know is that is either in, keep, in, in the keeping of the law, in your obedience to the law, is either you get zero or 100%. Did you hear what I said? You know those kind of tests that lecturers would give? And it's one question and it's like 70 marks. Is either you get everything or you get nothing? James chapter 2, verse 10. James, it's after Hebrews, it's before Peter. It just helped someone that was going to the concordance, to the table of contents. James chapter 2, verse 10. Are you there? If you're there, can we read together one to go? For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. Okay, I didn't hear everyone. So let's read again. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. So it's either you get zero or you get 100%. 99 Point nine equals zero in the keeping of the law. Did you get? So you had to keep the ten commandments and the six hundred plus laws at every point in time. Do you understand? So when someone just picks one law and says, "You are not doing this," the Bible says you should not do this. Do you know how many he is violating? First of all, many of us don't even know all of them. So you will just be violating without knowing. Do you get what I'm saying? The laws are... See, I, I, I intentionally didn't want to pick some of the laws and show you in this teaching. You know that you can't keep them. Do you understand? If you miss one, you're guilty of all. Number three, the law was meant for the Jews. Do you understand? The law was meant for the Jews. Moses, when given the law, said, I'm giving you this law so that when you go to the promised land, you will keep it. He said, I know, he knew he wasn't going to go with them. He said, I know you people. I was wondering, 
you know, brought you out of Egypt. I know you people. I know that you are stiff-necked. He said, as you are going to the promised land, keep these laws. Do you understand? That's what he said. So he gave them those laws to be kept in the promised land. For example, part of the law is that you take a, if you commit a sin, you take a lamb to the priest and the priest had to be from the tribe of Levi. There is no tribe of Levi in Nigeria. Do you understand? There's no tribe of Levi in Nigeria. The temple where you sacrifice it is the one in Jerusalem. So even if there's a tribe of Levi in Nigeria, the priest must carry that lamb to Jerusalem to go and sacrifice. It was the law. If he didn't do that, it wasn't accepted. It was meant for the Jews in the land that God sent them. Do you understand? So what was the first thing I said about the law? Okay, I need chorus answer there. Ten commandments and over 600 laws. The second thing. One, good. The third thing. What's the third thing? The law was meant for the Jews. The fourth one is even more surprising. Okay, before let me even let, let me let me okay, the fourth one. No one, none of the Jews eh, in all of history was able to keep the law. That is from when Moses gave them the law till when the Christ came, none of them, nobody was able to keep it. Do you understand? That means in all of his, there was nobody. Do you get? So if you want to try, you can go ahead and try. But we have, we have enough facts and evidences to show that you will fail. Acts chapter... Let me see. Um... I think it's Acts chapter 15, where Peter was talking. Now, Acts chapter 15 from verse 7, are we there? There was a dissension in the church. And, um, okay, let me read it. From, I even asked chapter 15. Now, let's read verse 1 to put context to it. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, now take note, they said, these men came down from Judea. That's Israel. They were not, that means the people that came to were not in Israel. Do you understand? Came down from Judea and taught who? Sinners. Who? The brethren. That's Christians. He said, and said, except you are circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Who are they talking to? Sinners or brethren? Brethren. They now said, except you are circumcised after the manner of Moses, 
you cannot be saved. So they were saying, they were trying to enforce the law of Moses. Do you understand? And, P- and look at what happened, verse 2. And when, when therefore Paul and Barabbas had no small dissension and disputation with them and determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. So it was a serious issue. These guys said they have to keep the law of Moses. Paul and Barnabas, the Bible said, had no small dissension. They didn't agree. Did you see that? So this is not me speaking. This is what they did. Okay. Now look at verse 7. And Peter, who, uh, sorry, and when there had been so much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentile by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. 8. And God, which knoweth the heart, bear them record, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. He said, so, so he preached the gospel to them. God gave them the Holy Ghost. That's the Gentiles. Verse 9, he says, And put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Jonathan, not by the keeping of the law. He said he purified their heart by faith. Now look at what he says in verse 10. He says, Now therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? So, he calls the keeping of the law a yoke that their fathers, remember I told you, this is a, the fathers is a language that the Jews use. This is Peter speaking. He said, neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. Did you see that? Nobody in all of history was able to keep the law. Meaning, everybody got what? Zero. Did you see that? Now, that's the what point? Is that the fourth point? That's the fourth point. Okay, let's go to the fifth point. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. We've read this scripture many times. It's amazing. Verse 1. He's talking about the law now. He says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of these things, can never those sacrifices which were offered year by year continually make the commerce thereunto perfect. Meaning, the law was not efficacious in making people righteous. Do you understand? The law, even if you decided, if you were able to keep it, did not have the ability to make you righteous. So not only were they unable to keep it, the law itself was unable to make them righteous. Get so if you manage by some sort to keep 
the law. It was unable. He said, was, can never with those sacrifices, the sacrifice that was meant to be offered to make you righteous. He said, with those sacrifices, we can never with those sacrifices, which were offered year by year continually, make the commas zero unto perfect. He says, for then they would have ceased to be offered, because the worshiper once purged will have had no more conscience of sin. So they didn't have the ability, the Lord didn't have the ability to make man righteous. Do you understand? The Lord didn't have the ability to make man righteous. Alright. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Are you, are you understanding? Romans chapter 10. This is a beautiful passage of scripture. Romans chapter 10. You should just read the whole book of Romans. Or let's say Romans from verse chapter 8 to chapter 10. Ha! Although, I, like I told you guys when I gave you the assignment, that's not a good way to read. You're meant to start from the beginning, from chapter 1, verse 1 to the end. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. He says, Brethren, so who is he talking to? Sinners or Christians? Christians. He says what? Brethren. He says, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. Do you understand? My heart's desire and my prayer for... Now, now, if a woman said, my heart's desire and my prayer for my son is that he will be saved. What do you think is happening in the life of the guy? Sorry? He's probably a wayward guy. Do you understand? Coming in and out of prison. But guess how Israel was. Verse 2. He says, For I bear bear them record that they have a zeal for God, of God. He says, But not according to knowledge. (coughs) Excuse me. Did you see that? He said, I'm praying for these people to be saved. But guess what? He said, These are not wayward people. These are people that have a zeal for God. What did they lack? Knowledge. Do you understand? They had zeal. How do we know an Israelite? Remember, he said, my prayer for where? Israel, not the whole world. How do you know a zealous Israelite? He's keeping the law. Do you understand? Yes. In fact, Paul... In the book of, I think, um, Philippians, he said, concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Jonathan, that's how I showed my zeal for God, by persecuting the church. He said, but I had to let it go for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So he had zeal without knowledge. You get it. Look at verse 3. Remember in verse 2, he says, If I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Then he says, verse 3, For they being ignorant of the righteousness of God and going about to establish what? Their own righteousness. 
He calls the righteousness by the law their own. And calls righteousness by faith the righteousness of God. That's serious. Do you see that? He said, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. Can we read verse 4 together? For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Yeah. Christ is the end of the law for everyone, for righteousness, for everyone that believeth. So why the Israelites were trying to hold on to the law, trying to do the law, do what it says? Paul said they were ignorant of the righteousness of God. That Christ is the end of the law for righteousness for everyone that believeth. You get. So if you read down, he now begins to describe the righteousness by faith. Then he says, if you believe in your heart, just with your heart, man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Christ is the end of the law. Say Christ is the end of the law. Yeah. So the law did not have the ability to make them righteous. So like I I asked the other time, so why did God give them the law? Rachel, why did God give them the law? Let me see those that have been listening. I've said it here before. Why did why did God give them the law? You can't remember. Who can remember what I said? I think he said to prepare them for um, to explain or prepare them for Christ. Yeah, yeah, very close, very close. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter ten. To do what? Yes, <laughs> no, no. Well, it depends on how you say it to make them see their inadequacy, actually. So, yes, Johnson. So, they tried and they couldn't. They're like, ah, that's where Romans 7. Ah, what I want to do, I cannot do. Who can deliver me from this burden of sin? Johnson. Uh-huh. So, they saw their inadequacy. They saw God's standard. For example, Abraham lied and walked away. He didn't know it was sin. Why? At the time, there was no law that says you should not lie. Do you get? So he lied. And nothing. He just went away. And God wanted to even punish the person he lied to. Do you understand? Because said, don't you know he's a prophet? But when the law, the Bible says, where there's no law, there is no transgression, there's no sin. Do you understand? So at the time, there was no law that said he should not do this. So he did it and walked away. But when there was a law, the man saw his inadequacy. He saw the car. In the eyes of God, I'm not righteous. I have fallen below his standard. He tried again. He tried again until he gave up and said, look, who will help me? Do you understand? Then the law, the same law, pointed him to Christ. The essence of the law is to point you to Christ. Please say that. The essence of the law is to point you to Christ. All right, Hebrews chapter 10, look at it there. 
Hebrews chapter 10. Paul. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 1. Can we read it together? Alright. Hebrews 10, 1. Read together. 1, 2, go. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. Stop. Again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. Stop. Again. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come. That was what the law contained. It was showing them good things to come. But they were not seeing it. So, if you're reading the law, and you are not seeing the good things to come, or that have come now, you are reading it wrongly. Do you see that? When you read the law, and you are not seeing the good things to come, then you are not reading it the way you ought to. Praise God. So, now, we said, we're studying how to... The topic, the topic is how to study your Bible, law and prophets. And I said, law and prophets is used... That phrase in the Bible is used to talk about the Old Testament. Do you understand? And those, the Old Testament reveals Christ. Do you understand? The Old Testament reveals Christ. Look at John chapter 1. Let me show you something. John chapter 1. These are scriptures that shape on how you read. Do you understand? They help you. They are like lens. They help you to see clearly. You're seeing, you're seeing glory. And then you wear glasses. Then the image were just in your eyes. The image did not change. Your vision was what changed. Jonathan, when you use glasses, say you have a defect. When the image didn't change, when you put the lens, then your eyes adjusted to see what was always there. These scriptures we are reading, we adjust your mindset to what has always been there. So when you read the books of the Old Testament, you would see what you ought to see. Do you get it? Because some people read it and didn't see what they ought to see. And then the Bible says that they went to establish their own righteousness and forsook the righteousness of God. But to them, they were keeping what they were seeing. Why? They didn't know the purpose of the Old Testament. They didn't know the purpose of the books of the law. They didn't know the purpose of the law. They thought the law was for them to keep. They didn't know the law was telling them about someone else. They didn't know the prophets were talking about someone else. Do you understand? Good. Now, John chapter 1, verse 45. John 1, 45. Are we there? Alright. Read together. One, two, go. Philip findeth Nathanael and said unto him, we have found him. Did you see that? John 1 45. 1 45. No, no, no. John 1 45. Alright, can we read it together? Philip findeth Nathaniel and said unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of David. 
um, Nazareth, son of Joseph. We have found what? Him. Do you see? Underline that in your Bible, please. We have found him. Not one of the people they were talking about. We have found him. A one Moses in the law and the prophets did write. So they were writing about a him. Did you realize he said Moses in the law? So when Moses was writing the law, he was writing about who? Christ, not you. Did you see that? We have found him. Did you understand? Now, flip some pages to John chapter 5. Just a few pages more. John chapter 5, we'll read verse 39 into verse 40. You see, those that don't know that these books were talking about Christ will be applying it to themselves. Are you Christ? Why are you trying to apply it to yourself? Now look at verse John 5, 39 into 40. He says, Search the scriptures. Now, now, this is the book of John, right? And Jesus was speaking, meaning he had not died. The only scriptures they could have had were the Old Testament books, right? They couldn't have had the book of Ephesians when he was speaking here, could they? No. Right? So, he was, when he said, actually, in the originals, he says, you search the scriptures. He was talking about what they were doing already. Jonathan, he said, search the scriptures. He says, for in them, you think you have eternal life. He says, and they, these, and they are they which testify of who? Me. Let me read it from the NLT. The New Living Translation. Ooh, praise God. Yeah. I hope we're getting to understand these things better. NLT says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. He says, the scriptures point to me. In verse 40, he says, yes, you refuse to come to me to receive this life. They were not coming to him to receive the life. They were trying to do it by themselves. You know, keep the law and by that have life. Keep the law and by that have a relationship with God. He says, no, the scriptures point to me. Do you understand? So when you read the Old Testament books, you should see Christ in those books. There were a shadow of good things to come. Please say that a shadow of good things to come. The shadow of good things to come. Yeah. The Old Testament, a shadow of good things to come. Now, let's read a scripture that many people um, sometimes misunderstand. And probably it's already coming to your head. But um, that's Matthew chapter 5, verse 47. Much of the 5 is 17, rather. Matthew 5, 17. Very, you know, popular scriptures. Scripture. Jesus was the one speaking there. No, Matthew chapter 5. Popularly known as what? Hey, Bible students. Matthew 5, popularly known as what? 
Okay, yes. Or someone on the on the mount. Yeah? Alright? So in verse 17, he says what? Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. How many of you are already thinking about it? Uh, he says, but I have come to do what? But to fulfill. Do you understand? So when, 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 when you tell some people, I know that's Old Testament. Say, no, no, no. Jesus said, I have not come to destroy the law and the prophets. I used to tell them, finish it. What did he say he came to do? He didn't say, I have come that we should fulfill it. What was the purpose of the law and the prophets? A shadow of good things. Do you understand? So, they were talking about me. Remember in John chapter 5, they point to me. I have come to fulfill what they were pointing to. What they were talking about me. Now, if that doesn't convince you, let us do a little Bible study. Now, look at, we study the word fulfill from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 5. Look at how he used it. Okay? Now, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 into 22. 21 said, and she, remember, I was studying the word fulfill. He said, I came to fulfill he said, I didn't come to destroy the law and prophets, came to fulfill. Now, Matthew 1, 21 to 22. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He says, Now all these was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord of the Lord by the prophets. Okay, so he said that what happened in the life of Jesus was to fulfill a prophecy. Okay, now look at chapter 2, verse, um, verse 15, or I'll start from verse 14. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Until the death of Herod, this that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I'll call my son. So they prophesied about him, he came to fulfill it. They prophesied that he shall be called this, he came to fulfill it. They prophesied about that out of Egypt I'll call my son, he came to fulfill it. Okay, verse 17. There was fulfilled that was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, in Aram, you shall hear a voice of lament. So he came to fulfill that. Did you see that? Can you see it? Good. Verse 23. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the prophet, saying he shall be called a Nazarene. His life was prophesied. He said, I didn't come to do I came to fulfill what was prophesied about me. In the law, the books of the law, there were prophecies about him. The law were a prophecy about the Christ. Do you understand? Let me show you. Matthew chapter 11, verse 13. 
Matthew 11 verse 13. Are you there? He says, this is Jesus speaking, right? Words of Christ in red. Good. Response. Are we understanding? Am I on my own? Okay. He says, for all... Look at this. So, some... Did he say some? He says, for all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So, the law too was prophesying. He said, the law and the prophet. The prophets and the law prophesied. So, the law were prophesying about the Christ. The prophets were prophesying about the Christ. Did you see that? They were prophesying about the Christ. So, in chapter 1, he said, this is to fulfill what this prophet said. Chapter 2, this is to fulfill what this prophet said. Chapter 3, this is to fulfill what this prophet said. In chapter 5, Jesus himself spoke and said, I didn't come to destroy it. The law and the prophet prophesied. I've come to fulfill what they're prophesying. That's what Matthew 5.17 is saying. Now, if it's not clear to you, then just read another translation. I'll read from the NLT, New Living Translation, of Matthew 5.17. Now, listen carefully. It says, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the laws of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to do what? Accomplish their purpose. What was their purpose? The law was a shadow of good things to come. I came to accomplish those good things. Now let me help you. Let me help you. You will not see every single law or every single prophecy pointing to Christ. Do you understand? Not all the laws and all the prophecies were about Christ. In fact, the majority of the laws and the prophecies were not about Christ. Do you understand? But the prof- all the prophecies that were quoted in the New Testament were about Christ. Do you see it? So, while in the Old Testament, they focused on many things, Christ came to show the important things. In Hebrews chapter 1, where we read, verse 1 and verse 2, he says, God had sundry times and in diverse manners spoken to the fathers by the prophet. He says, but in this last day, he has spoken to us in his son. So, all the things he was saying to the fathers by all the prophets, he said those same things in his son. Do you understand? So, some of them, the important ones were what he came, were what he spoke through the son. Do you understand what I'm saying? Good. I said, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets, spoke many things. The prophecies that they were going to exile, prophecies that they will come back, prophecies about different things. But the ones that were important were the ones that were fulfilled in the life of Christ. He spoke in his son. He spoke in his son. So in the life of the son, 
you see a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. In the life of the son, you see a fulfillment of the law. For example, this will help you. The law that the high priest is the only one qualified to make atonement for sin, to stand in the presence of God and say, this is the sacrifice of blood for the sins of people. That, that act was a law by Moses. That only the high priest can do this. Do you understand? The high priest is Christ. So all those, when, when, when Moses was telling them the high priest should do this, he was talking about the Christ. He was teaching them about the Christ. He was teaching them about the priesthood of Christ. Do you understand? You don't understand yet. Let me use on that that you might understand. When Moses said, the blood of a lamb would wipe away your sins. So he was teaching them, right? Then John came in John 1.29 and says, this is the Lamb of God. So all those lambs in the Old Testament, they're just a teaching, telling you, it's a lamb that is going to wipe away your sins. It's a lamb that is going to wipe away your sins. Don't try to say, I want to be responsible. No, present a lamb. So they learned to believe that another, that a lamb will take the punishment for their sins. And in the presence of God, because that lamb has taken the punishment, they are free. They are righteous. John said, that lamb is Christ. Is it easy? Still not understanding yet. Or maybe you have questions. So the law was a shadow. So he said, the lamb will take away your sins. They learned to trust that if, if there is a sacrifice of a lamb for my sins, I'm forgiven in the presence of God. I don't go with guilt. Just like I'm teaching you today, that because of the blood of Christ, you are guiltless. There's no condemnation for you. It's the same thing I'm teaching that Moses was trying to teach them. Do you understand? So instead of Moses just saying, you know, the lamb, or that Christ, yes, will take away your sins. He said, a lamb will take away your sins. That lamb is Christ. A priest is the only one qualified to go to God's presence. That priest is Christ. He has gone to heaven. Do you understand? So that's what he was teaching them. Let's look at... Um, Luke 24. Luke 24. You see, this helps you to know. You know what I said? Excuse me. When Christ was on earth, they didn't have the epistles, right? Excuse me. Is that right? They didn't have the epistles. The epistles were written after he died. In fact, many years after he died. Johnson, many years after he died. Now, uh, for example, the book of Revelation was written almost um, 
60 years after Jesus died. That's a long time, right? <laughs> now, so, when they were preaching, they did their preaching from the Old Testament books. Right? Good. Now, Jesus did a Bible study after he resurrected. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Acts chapter 1 verse 3 said he spent 40 days teaching them. But Luke summarizes the teaching for us so that we can know what he was teaching them. Let's see what Jesus taught after he resurrected. Do you understand? Now look at Luke chapter 24, verse 44. Uh, let's start from verse 22 and um, 24. Um, hmm. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even as the woman had said, but they did not see him. So this was after his resurrection. 25. Then he said unto them, Jesus said unto them, O fools and sloth had to believe all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? So he summarizes all that the prophets have spoken into that Christ ought to suffer and enter his glory. O fools and sloth had to believe all that the prophet has spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter his glory? He said this was what was prophesied. Jonathan, okay, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. This might help you. Peter repeats the same thing. He says in verse, 1 Peter chapter 1. This is Bible study. Are we in 1 Peter chapter 1? Verse 9 says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. He said, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, when they prophesied the grace that should come unto us. So they were prophesying about the grace that should come unto us. He says, searching what on what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify a fourth time. It was signifying in advance. Jonathan, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So this was the contents of the prophecies of the prophets. That Christ should suffer and enter into his glory. So, this, now remember I said, not all their prophecies were about that. But the prophecies that the Bible considers the important ones, do you understand, were about the sufferings of Christ and the glory that follow. The prophecies that Christ talked about were about his sufferings and the glory. The, the prophecies that the apostles, the early church, used to teach was about the suffering of Christ and how he entered into his glory. Do you understand? They didn't just pick up any prophecy and just start saying anything. No. The prophecy they deemed relevant were the prophecies. So they selected the prophecies that were about the Christ and they said this is what is important for Bible study. Their teachings from the Old Testament books were picked from scriptures that talked about Christ. Every other thing, they didn't disturb themselves about it. So because David and Goliath did not bother, it, it, it didn't have 
a Christocentric, they just left it. Do you understand? Now, friends, let me give you a typical example. When you read the book of Acts, chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost came, Peter gave a number of prophets. He quoted a number of prophecies. He quoted Joel. He quoted David. Now, Joel had many prophecies. David had many prophecies. He picked the ones that talked about Christ. The prophecies about Christ in the Old Testament were sermon materials. Every other thing, they didn't bother themselves with it. Do you understand? When you read through the book of Acts, you see at different times they will pick prophecies. It was the prophecies they picked were the ones that were related to Christ. Their messages were Christ-centered. Do you understand? Read the epistles. They were Christ-centered. Anything they were quoting from the Old Testament had a relevance to Christ. Anything that was not relevant to Christ, they did not talk about it. So, are you getting better understanding now? Alright. So, let's go back to Luke 24. So, if you wanted to know what Jesus was teaching about, here is it. If you wanted to know what the early church taught about, here is it. If you wanted to know what they considered as relevant scriptures in the Old Testament, there were scriptures that had a Christ, that were Christ-focused, that focused about on Christ. Now look at Luke 24. Read verse, look at, read verse 25 to 27. And he said unto them, More fools and slow of how to believe all that the prophet has spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? The Bible says in 27, I'm beginning at Moses. Jonathan, that's the books written by Moses. That's the law. He says, and all the prophets, he expounded as he explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Did you see that? For, the, for him, it was important that they grew in the knowledge of Christ. Ephesians 4 says he gave apostles, pastors, prophets, evangelists, teachers. He says, until we to come to the knowledge of the Son of God. Do you understand? That's the relevance that we come to the knowledge of the Christ. Look at verse 44 of the same Luke 24. Where we are, just go to verse 44. He met another group of people and he was teaching them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spoke unto you while I was yet with you. That's when I was still alive, before I died. He says, That all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses. There were things written in the law of Moses. He said they must be fulfilled. And in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me, the Bible says, and he opened their eyes that they might understand the scriptures. This was the first time they were understanding the scriptures. The word, when he said, then he opened their eyes, the word opened there is used when it's the first time something's been opened. Let me say, someone's there from birth, couldn't never heard in his life. When he hears that first opening, is the word I was using here, or the first delivery of a woman, the first time she's giving birth. Johnson said, This one opened the womb. Yes. So, this is the first time. He said, They opened their understanding. So, this was the first time they were understanding the scriptures. He opened their understanding that they may understand the scriptures. 
So, you can't say you understand the scriptures if you don't understand it in the light of Christ. They understood it, they have been reading it. But when they now finally understood it in the light of Christ, he said they understood. Same thing Paul said in John in Romans chapter 10, where we read. He said they had zeal, but they didn't have knowledge. People that knew the law, they could quote the law. Do you understand? They could quote it. They were even living by it. He said they didn't have knowledge. He himself, he said he, he knew the law. He was a Pharisee. He said, he said I'm a, as in among Pharisees, me, I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. Pharisees are learners for me. Do you understand? Pharisees are learners. They will come to me to learn. He knew the law. But he said, I count everything as dumb for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. So if you don't understand Christ, you don't understand the scriptures. Philip knew. He said, we have found him in which Moses in the law and the prophet did write. So the Old Testament was written to reveal Christ. And so if you are reading the Old Testament and you are not seeing Christ there, you are misunderstanding the book. Exactly. You are misunderstanding the book. He says it points to me. The books were about him. Did you see that? So, your study of the Old Testament, prophecies in the Old Testament, stories in the Old Testament, the law in the Old Testament must bring you or point you to Christ. Now, this is a caution. Not all the stories, all the laws, or all the prophecies are about Christ. How do I know the ones that are about Christ? Read the epistles. They would show you a prophecy and say, this prophecy is about Christ. Peter did that. He said, David said, um, Acts chapter 2. He said, you will not leave my soul in hell. Neither will you allow your holy one see corruption. He said, David is dead. His sepulcher is there. His body has decayed. You can't say you don't allow your holy one see corruption. He has corrupted. His body has corrupted. He has decayed. He said, that prophecy was about Christ. Do you understand? That prophecy... It's about Christ. Acts chapter 8, the, centu- the um, eunuch was reading. He was reading Isaiah 53. A lamb led to the slaughter. You hear that face from him. This and that and that. The eunuch asked Philip, he said, who is this man talking about? Is he talking about himself or another man? Philip, the Bible said, from that scripture, preached Christ to him. He preached what? Christ to him. Did you see that? Acts chapter 8 verse 6. Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ. Like, like the Bible teacher says, Christ is the explanation of all things. It's from understanding Christ that you understand righteousness. You understand sanctification. You understand eternal life. It's from understanding Christ that your 
doctrine about money comes forth. I think I told you guys the other day, when Jesus was talking about money, he said the kingdom of God is like a pearl, a treasure that a man finds it and goes his way and sells all that he has with joy to be able to purchase it. That's the idea a believer has about money. He commits his resources generously about the ki- to the kingdom. He sees it as joy. Do you understand? So, Christ is the explanation of all things. Christ is the explanation of all things. Christ is the explanation of all things. You grow spiritually by understanding Christ. Do you understand? There is so much to learn about Christ. The life he lived. The death he died. What his death brought. The authority of a believer is... You you don't understand the authority of a believer if you don't understand what Christ did. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter healed the layman at the beautiful gate, he said, why are you looking at us? I see by our own power or holiness, we've made this man walk. He said, God has glorified his son. When, oh, beautiful, the coming of the Holy Spirit was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come and you shall be witnesses of me. You will be able to tell people about me. So we are, that's why we are Christians. We are Christ-like. He's, he's our message. Do you understand? He's our message. He's our message. Read objectively through the book of Acts. Their message was Christ. Read objectively through the epistles. Their message was Christ. From knowing Christ, they could now teach other things. It's from their knowledge of Christ, when they now know who they were in Christ, what Christ has done for them. You see, now because you have received the life of Christ, live this kind of life. Jonathan, you have received the life that empowered Christ to live righteously. Now that you know you have received that life, now I can command you to live out what is already in you. Bring out what's already in you. The life compels you to live in a certain way. So I'm not instructing you to do what you cannot do. That's what the law was telling them to do. That's why nobody could keep the law. Because it was telling them to do what they could not do. Because they were fallen men. But we, he says, whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have. We receive that life. And it empowers us to live the kind of life that God wants us to live. And then he says, it is him that is at work in you. Giving you the desire and helping you to do the things that please him. The law was a, like my mentor said, the law was a regulator, was, was regulations. Give you regulations. This is what to do. This is what not to do. The New Testament, we have the regulator inside of us. Do you understand? Inside of us, 
He's at work in us, giving us the desire, helping us. So in the law, they were trying to perform. They were trying to obey certain codes. In the New Testament, we, he said, I'll put my law in your heart. He said, I'll cause you to do my commandments. Do you understand? So, that's it. Any questions? I believe there are a lot of questions. There's, there's so much. I believe there's a lot. So, let's start bringing our questions. Any questions? If you want to know about Jesus, where can you read the law and know about him? Um, yeah, for the Old Testament. Good. So, and I said, you grow spiritually as you know about Christ. So we read it to know about Christ. It's not clear. It's not clear, right? Now, when you read in the Old Testament and you saw how they kept sacrificing, this one was sacrificed and then he goes free. This one sacrificed, he goes free. Why did he have to use those things? Because, because they could not understand. You know, sometimes we don't know that because you believe and you receive the Holy Ghost, you now have the ability to understand. It, it now because you're a Christian, it's some of the things we are teaching are normal. That this, the death of the under man makes you righteous. It looks normal to you, like ah, anybody can understand it. But try and teach it to someone else that's not a believer. Paul says, God chose that through the foolishness of preaching the gospel, men will be saved. Because to ordinary men, it's foolishness. Do you understand? So, because they were not born again, they could not understand. Do you get? So, they didn't have the ability to understand. That's why he had communicated that way. He was communicating in a way they could understand. Yeah. But now, because you have the Holy Ghost, it's easy for you to understand what he's saying. Do you get? So, that's so um, does that mean like every minister now should have to preach about other things? Like other things like? Health, favor, um, joy, kindness. If, if, if. If you don't preach it, now if you look, if you read the epistles very well, remember I said reading from the middle is a bad way to read, right? How do we start? We start from chapter two. I told you about it this week. Yeah, we start from chapter one to the last um, book, the last um, chapter, right? Now, study the epistles. Ah, um, Romans, Corinthians, um, Ephesians, Galatians, Philippians. All we first teach you about Christ. The first chapters. 
Then maybe the second to the last chapter or the, towards the end, he will now give you instructions. Now that you know this, for example, in the Corinthian church, there was fornication. Paul didn't say, why are you fornicating? Don't you know what the law says? He says, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't defile that body. How did their body... They, in, the, in the Old Testament, their body was not the temple of the Holy Ghost. They had temple. They had holies of holies where they thought God was. But he says, but now, he says, know you not. That means he has taught them about Christ and how that the sacrifice of Christ has brought the Holy Ghost in them. Just, no, don't you know your body? So, he, he moves your focus from you to Christ. This is what he has done. So, if you want to teach about uh, healing, for example, look at how Peter talked about in Acts chapter 3. He healed the layman at beautiful gates. He said, Why are you looking at me? As if by my power or by my holiness that I've made this man walk. He said, God has glorified his son. Christ has been risen, has, has received authority. He has glorified him. He has received authority, a name above every name. So at that name, I can speak to the sick to be healed. So in teaching about healing, you will teach from what Christ has done. So if I want to teach you about healing, to receive healing for your body, I tell you about what Christ has done. And so I say, look, you now have authority to command the sickness to go. Because of what Christ has done, he has received a name. Now you can use that name and say, in the name of Jesus, I receive my healing. Christ has received an authority that is above every authority. So because of that, God has glorified him. I can now say, in the name of Jesus, that sickness should go. you understand? So if anyone, just like the early church did, just like the apostles did, if you are teaching about anything, you must teach it. You must start from what Christ has done. If you don't do that, chances are that you might miss it. Chances are that you might not have a balanced teaching. Do you understand? Chances are that you might not have a balanced teaching. More questions? I think as we ask more questions, we'll generally have better understanding about what because we are trying to understand. He was not inside the people. You couldn't say your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Now, when you read, um, I think in the book of Acts, you see two words that are used to describe the position of the Holy Ghost in relation to human beings. They will say he came upon them, and then they will say he is in them. In the Old Testament, throughout, all you will see is the Spirit of God came upon this person, and then he prophesied, the Spirit will go, the person will become a normal person. You don't get in them, yes. So, the new creation, Christian, is the first that the Holy Ghost will dwell inside of him. In him. And because of the presence of the Holy Ghost inside of you, that's the meaning of He's at work in you, both to will and to do. The Holy Ghost is at work inside of you. He's inside of you. So you can, you have the desire. And 
you can do the things that please God. Because of the presence of the Holy Ghost inside of you, you can understand the word of God when it's being taught. Do you understand? You can understand the word of God when it's being taught. Plenty things. It's also the assurance of salvation. I, to, I told you about it now. Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him that raised Christ from death dwells where? In you. Okay, let me, let me say this. Really, in the Bible, there are three positions. Numerations to God and people. Two were shown in the Old Testament. Three in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God was for Israel. So if God is for you, who can be against you? God was for Israel. He was with them that the Spirit come upon them and do things. Okay? But he was never in them. In the New Testament, for believers, God is for us. He's with us. It's upon you. And then he's in you. He's in you. Jonathan, he's upon you for ministry. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses. Jonathan, so the Holy Ghost was not in them. He was upon them. He will come and go. But the Spirit is in you. He said, I'll send the Comforter to abide with you forever. That was the first time. He said, you'll send the Comforter. You'll, be, you'll abide with you forever. While in the Old Testament, David will say, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me. Jesus gave us a promise and assurance. He said, I'll send the Comforter and he will be with you forever. So he doesn't leave and come back. He's with you forever. That's what Jesus said. When, okay. I've always wondered about that, like, when you see everything, and then you feel like, Forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is is um a big Bible topic and takes a lot of Bible study to fully understand it. But this is what Jesus said that I'll send a comforter. And he will have abide with you forever. And of course, the Holy Ghost only came in Acts chapter 2. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, um, did Jesus know that they would sin even when they received the Holy Ghost? When he said he would abide with them forever? Did you know that occasionally they would sin? Yes. He knew. He even told Peter. Of course, at the time Peter sinned, the Holy Ghost was not in him. But even after that time, it wasn't like Peter lived a perfect, totally sinless life. He didn't even maybe lie one day or something. But Jesus still said as an assurance so that I will give the comforter and he will abide with you forever. Now this is it. John, 1 John 1. 1 John, sorry, not 1 John 1. Um... Sorry, okay, I think I'm getting this. First John 2. I was opening John. First John 2. Now, this scripture, so if you don't read contextually, if you don't start from verse chapter 1, verse 1, and read like to the end of the book, you might not understand it well. But let's see. First John chapter 2, verse 1 says, my little children, these things I write unto you is that you sin not. 
right? He said, I'm writing to you to tell you that you should not sin. He now says, but if any man sins, and if any man sin, he says what? Read it. What does he say? Did you see that he points you to Christ? Did you see that he points you to Christ? You didn't see that. Is it there? He says, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does he say about him? He says, he is the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiation is the price to, for something. It was the price to take away our sins. It was the, he took the punishment for our sins. Do you understand? He took the punishment for our sins. He says, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So when you sin, John said, if any man sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous is a payment for our sins. He has paid for the sins. So the sin you commit, he has paid the punishment for already. You know the meaning of that? Imagine if I knew that all... If I, imagine if I knew all you would ever buy in life. And I knew the store you go and buy it for. And I go and pay for it before you were born. I mean, hope you know you'll never be owing them. Do you understand? You'll never be owing them. So there'll be no time where they'll be able to harass you. Right? You can walk in, pick and walk away, and they cannot harass you. Why? I paid before you were born. He says, if any man sinned, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's the payment for all our sins. Not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So, if at the time you any time you sin, Jesus has paid for it already. It means the Holy Ghost doesn't have will not have a genuine reason or ground to live. He won't have a reason to, to bring allegations against you. Do you know that the accuser of the brethren is not God? Right? And he's not the Holy Ghost. In fact, I don't know where it is in the book of John, but he said, he said, if your conscience condemns you, he says God is God is greater than your conscience. Why? Because he never condemns you. Jonathan, he never condemns you. Why? Remember Romans chapter 8. There is now therefore no condemnation for those in Christ. Paul, how can you say that? How you, so, are you saying this brother that sinned, there is no condemnation? You say, yes, there is no condemnation for whoever is in Christ. Why? Before he was born, Christ paid for the sin. Is that bitter imagination? So, does that mean we should go around and sin? Like Paul answered, God forbid. Did you know that's nowhere he stopped? He said, how can we, who are dead to sin, continue to live? Do you understand? Me, that that desire has been... When Paul said I've been crucified with Christ, that's what I was talking about. That stony heart, that heart that doesn't desire the things of God, has been removed. He has put in me a heart that desires the things of God. 
So when you are singing, the next time you are singing, I know who I am. This is what you're talking about. That the stony heart has been taken out of my flesh. And I've been given a heart of vibrino. I'm joking. I'm joking. Do you understand? And I've been given a heart of flesh. Do you understand? I've been given a heart of flesh. See, let me tell you. You grow spiritually when you begin to accept for yourself what God says about you. Jewish kids. Okay, let me read this scripture. Maybe that will help you. Hebrews chapter 8. Interesting. Hebrews has... Wrap up. Okay, we'll wrap up now. We'll wrap up now. I, I get the message now. Sorry? That's okay. I'll just read it. I think the scripture is really very self-explanatory, but let me just read it. <clears throat> this was a prophecy of... Um, A prophecy by Jeremiah in verse 10. He says, Not according to covenant, with, I, she said, I'll make a covenant with the house of Israel, not according to covenant with their fathers in the day that I took them from the land of Egypt, and le- but they continued not in my covenant and regarded it not, said the Lord. He says, This is covenant I will make with the house of Israel after this day, says the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts, in their mind, and write them in their hearts. He said, I'll be their God and they'll be my people. He said, I want to teach any man say, no, the Lord, for all shall know from this is greater. He says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. This is God's position. Before, now, he prophesied this in, Je- in, the, in the book of Jeremiah. That time, Jesus had not come. He says, this is what I will do in the new covenant. I will be merciful to your unrighteousness. Then look at how he finishes it. He says, and their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. So when you sing, he said, I'll be merciful. And I'll not remember. So the Holy Ghost cannot say, now I'm leaving you. Or now I'm quiet. Because you sin. Say, ah, who told you? I thought God said he will not remember. And I thought he said, I'll be merciful. Is it clear? So you're Remem- just the one remembering. Yes. Just so he said, there's no condemnation. So what do you do? You acknowledge what God says about you. You know in the Bible says you behold and be changed into the same image. You are beholding the image already and you are being changed in that image. So you say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Jonathan, you know probably you acted out of you know anger, you didn't have self-control, you're doing things, you feel like I have a weakness. The Bible says that the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And you have the love of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, from verse 4 to verse 8, he describes what the love of God looks like. He says, he keeps no record of evil. He says he has self-control. He talks about the fruit of your spirits, the spirit that he gave you. He says, self-control. You, so you say to yourself, I have self-control. This is the meaning of um, why we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. But the things which are seen are temporal. The things which are not seen are eternal. That's me, the spirit I have that God has given me. I have self-control. So you say it. Jonathan, you say it. I think I talked about it last time. You practice edification. This is how you edification is to build up like an edifice, to build 
a fortification. This is how you build up yourself. You're praying in tongues and you say these things. I have self-control. I'm righteous. My thoughts are seasoned. The thing, I think the things that are true, the things that are holy, the things that are good of good reports. It's like prophesying unto your life. You know, the Bible says that let the word of, about Christ, the message about Christ dwell in you richly. And then you speak. So this is how you speak. Before you know what, you see your life will adjust. In the new covenant, we don't try to adjust ourselves. No. He's at work in you, giving the desire, both to will and to do. So you just realize that naturally you begin to do these things. Because you have, you're praying in tongues, you're confessing, I have self-control. You just realize you naturally have self-control. There's a regulator inside of you. You are not trying to obey some regulations. There's just something inside of you that you just, you just have self-control. Cool? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm, there's also in choosing your like home, your place of worship. I think this is where the thing comes in. Yeah. In choosing your place of worship, the minister or the um, standpoint, is it that the standpoint of their message must first be that Christ died and then he rose. Like, that must always be their message every Sunday, every um, gathering. Okay. Because okay. most of the times, it's not that. Yeah. It's, it's something else. Does that mean that, like, every Sunday, it has to be um, that <coughs> Even if they want to talk about things that will help your normal fiscal vision, they have to start from that Christ day. Um, <coughs> well, um, how do I answer? The answer is actually yes. Jensen, but let me let me let me explain now. If because if I teach my church and they already understand the place of Christ, I can come and say, No, you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm reminding them of what they know. Do you understand? I'm reminding them of what they know. I'm not. I'm, if I'm reminding them of something, they understand. Okay, like now that you have taught us, you can now build on it. Build on it. Do you understand? But when I'm building on it, I'm careful. I'm careful. For example, when uh, good, let me give an example. When Paul was teaching about relationship, First Corinthians seven, he said, "Look, if you want to marry, marry in Christ." Jesus married in Christ because he knew his church knew what it meant to be in Christ. Jesus, he could now say, he could now say, husband love your wife as Christ loved the church. Why? Because he has taught them how Christ loved the church. He said, woman submits as the church submits to Christ because he has taught them how the woman submit how the church submits to Christ. Jesus, so when he said submit, they already know. Their, their, their definition of submission is not from Hollywood. They understand that it's as the church submits. Do you get? So, it's... You can... We, we, whenever the minister is teaching, his message has to be Christ-centered. 
we have to see that it is coming from, most importantly, from an understanding of what Christ has done. I can tell you, listen, walk in love. I'm instructing you to walk in love. And I'm telling you that because the love of God is shared abroad in your heart. I'm not saying try now, you can do it. Mm-mm. I'm saying, look, the spirit you have is a spirit, you have the spirit of love. The Bible said the love of God constrains us. It says the fruit of the spirit is love. So I'm not telling you to, I'm not giving you a regulation. I'm telling you, there's love inside of you already. It's not prayer points. Do you understand? Bring it out. Cool? Yeah. <coughs> Can it be a For a believer, it's a no. In fact, the word feeling hmm, is a wrong word to use. Now, the idea might not be wrong. Or what the person is trying to say might not be wrong. But that word is a wrong word to use. Why? Because feeling has to do with the five senses. Sight, I see with my physical eye, I test with my tongue, I feel with my skin. The word you use, the appropriate word, which is different from feeling, is not the same experience with different words. Do you get what I'm saying? The right word to use is perceive. Perceive is what is is, is the feeling of the spirit. Perce- I perce- you perceive with your spirit, you feel with your physical body. It's a wrong word to use. It's a wrong word to use. You know the problem. You know the problem. You know the problem. When you say that, guess where you direct people's attention to? I want to feel it. I want to feel it. Thank you. Yes. It's, it's from your spirit. Jonathan, it's from your spirit. It's from your spirit. So, you can perceive. Now, of course, the, sometimes the anointing of God's spirit can be strong in an environment. And there is a strong perception. Sometimes you could even have goosebumps, you know, physically, not goosebumps in your spirit. <laughs> You'd have goosebumps. So, the supernatural can have a physical, natural... Um, yes. But our knowing comes from the Spirit. Just So, feeling is the wrong word to use. Feeling is the wrong word to use. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bad word to use. Now, of course, if, if it's a church you have taught well, Jason, and you say, and you because you've taught them well, they know that when you say, oh, I feel the move of the spirit, they know that you mean perceive. That's different. Do you understand? But if it's just, you're just coming here for the first time, you're telling us you feel. Do you understand? <laughs> yes. Like when they say, I see an angel there, you don't see people. Tony. No. Because you're not seeing with your physical eyes. It's a knowing from your spirit. You understand? So you can you can be looking here throughout and you say there's an angel there. It's from your spirits. 
So it's a, it's a, it's not a feeling. It could have a physical effect, but it's it's spirit. I mean, God is a spirit, so you, you don't feel it physically. Cool. Because at the point that's it's affecting you. I have to ask Malakai. This was the same thing he said. Yeah. Why? Are you going to be really clear? It's this. See, the things of God. Because like, if I don't feel His presence, that means He's not there. There. So when I go up to minister, I'll just be like, okay, since I don't, I didn't feel, feel His presence, He's not there. It's huh. supernatural things work better with knowledge. Jensen, supernatural things work better with knowledge. For example, I know that. You know that when two or three are gathered in his name, he's there. It's a giving. Do you know? Let me tell you something. Do you know as a minister, with that knowledge, eh, I can now say, look, God is here. God is here. And I begin to minister. And people say they are getting supernatural experiences. They are even feeling that it's having physical effects. And I may not feel anything. Yes, but I know. Yes, because I know my 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 um convictions from the world. I know it's here. You know, sometimes we feel like something I hear now, 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 now is more potent than the written word. So when he says, "When two or three are gathered, I'm there," you feel like it's not as strong as when I just hear him say, "I mean, I'm here now." Or maybe I just see something in the spirit. We feel like that is more potent than this. So we, we feel like we have to really, that's really calm. Yeah. Now, of course, sometimes, sometimes that, that one will inform you. Because like you're just, and then maybe you just climb and you're about to speak. And you just perceive something in your spirit. Okay? Good. But, Physical experiences are not more tangible than the Word of God. Many Christians don't know this because they don't read. But many false religions started with experiences. Like, I think Islam, the guy said somebody appeared to him, one angel appeared to him or something. Many, many false religions like that started with an appearance. So maybe something will appear almost physically or physically. And said, This is yes, that's what he said. That an in Islam that an angel appeared to him and said that the Christians were missing it and something and something and something and still telling him the right thing. You probably have not had that kind of experience in your own life. He didn't study the thing appeared to him and told him. How do you now know if it's true or not? This one doesn't change. You verify what is you say you saw with this. For example, now, if somebody comes and says that, starts prophesying and is bringing condemnation to you, you know it's not from God. It doesn't matter if you say, no, 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 or, or, or if you just like, oh, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, this is, thank you, Jesus, oh, I didn't know this. And then he says, the Lord said, You've been fornicating. <laughs> you open Hebrews 8 to him. He says, sir, please, read it. <laughs> Remember what? Read it. No more. 
Then you open First Corinthians fourteen three. Prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. What you just said doesn't comfort me. It's not prophecy. Do you understand? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if he just rose the dead and turned to you. Any if 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 you exalt anybody, anybody, any message, any experience above this, be a candidate for error. I was thinking about this, and I think I can close from here. My mentor said this. He said, when you look at the people that crucified Jesus, you think they were bad people. They were just people that exalted any other thing, whether they are feelings or anything above the written word. So are you trying to justify with hmm? you trying to justify with If they stayed with the written word, hmm, they wouldn't have killed him. Well, of course, they didn't have revelation of it, so of course. But the word himself was with them now. Hmm? So even if there was a written word, they won't still believe There was a written word already. They had the, the mm-hmm. Old Testament. They didn't understand. So no they didn't understand. Okay, because they didn't have the Spirit. Mm, yeah, so they didn't understand. They didn't understand. Any time. For, for example, now, someone just comes and says that he had a vision when he was praying. He fell into a trance. And then he opens maybe the book of Isaiah and begins to read prophecy. I said, there is sin in the land. Mm-hmm. There is sin in the land. The, the coming of the Lord is near. Brethren, let's begin to ask for forgiveness. I heard the pastor say to me that when there's this pastor, I don't know what kind of pastor that, that's, when once it's too that he starts preaching and he's always saying things of, he was saying today that so many people, when they say they should pray for forgiveness, they don't even pray as much as they pray when they say they should pray for blessing. And I was like, forgiveness, like, <laughs> I should start there. That you need to pray with fervency for forgiveness. And they, they said a session of prayer for forgiveness. Forgiveness for blessing. Do you know? Do you know? Do, do you know that there's no prayer of forgiveness in the Bible? In the New Testament, in the epistles? Do you know? Let me leave you thinking that you remember where we read First John 2. I write unto you, little children, that you sin not. So he's telling you not to sin. He said, if any man sins, let him ask for forgiveness. Let him say the sinner's prayer. Let him say, Father, forgive me. What did he say? If any man sins, he just moves away from me and says, We have what? When did he pay for it? Before you, before you would. Is it what I said or what he said? He said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. When the blood was shed, sins were forgiven. Our biggest danger, can I tell you this, is not people that what they are doing is clearly, oh, everyone just know that this one is in error. Sincere people like you and I, that would not stick with the written word to take into error. Sincere people. Very, very sincere people. For example, first of all, do you know that maybe the things I taught you today, you have never heard them? 
So the things I talked about the Old Testament, you've never heard them. Maybe. But you've heard many people teach and quote from the Old Testament. But I just showed you how they use the Old Testament to teach in the Bible. You can go and verify the things I said. Read the whole book of Acts. Read the epistles. See their quotations about the Old Testament. See what they were teaching about the Old Testament. It's different from what you've heard. It's what I just taught you. So probably you have been listening. You've just for the first time heard the teaching of the Old Testament in the right way today. Sincere people have taught you loving people. People that are serious with God. Do you understand? But they just need some brush up. Do you understand? So sometimes people are actually sincere. They just don't just need brush up. So the temptation, and I usually I also tell myself, the temptation is to think that the people I know, the people I listen to, are right. You know those people that are giving their people snake to eat, grass to drink. You know, they are wrong. But I show you some scriptures now. I should have given, maybe I should have given more examples. I did a Bible study with someone, was it you? I did it with you also. When we look, when I said, um, I just quoted it. When Job said, in the book of Job, where they said, if you take away iniquity from your sight, he said, you lay gold as dust. How many of you have heard that scripture before? You don't heard it? You lay gold as dust. Job, I think 22, 25. And then people use it to say you have you have money. Just take away iniquity. Then you read another translation and you're surprised. He said, lay gold away, take away iniquity. Gold, lay it away also. The way you treat trust, that's how you move move everything. Then God will be your gold. Do you understand? Then God. Do you understand? Another one. Proverbs, I think, is it 18 1 or 118? It says, We've read it before now, we're ready here. Yeah. Ah, ah, all of you that are not listening, I'm catching people. He says, He says, Um, a man through desire, having separated himself, seeketh and intermingleth with all wisdom. KJV. A man, through desire, having separated himself. It looks like someone that is serious about his life, he separates himself to study. He comes out with wisdom. Alayo. He says a foolish person shuns wisdom. He separates himself to be, to, to be destroyed. That's what that scripture is saying. Just read it from NLT. I'm teaching you how to study the Bible. James, I'm teaching you how to study the Bible. So there are some things you've said amen to. That should. Did you get? Strong amen. Yeah. A loud. The loudest amen. You get it? That is a lie. I hope you know. 
the loudest the amen will die your amen, the more blessing. It's a lie. It's a lie. Or top it. It's not true. It's not true. You say you lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I didn't say a person should say amen. When Peter looked to the guy, he said, rise up and walk. He didn't say, if you key into this word. No. Do you understand? They said, Paul was preaching like this one day. He just looked around and see a guy. He said, perceive that that guy had faith to be healed. He just healed the guy. He didn't say, now, shout, no. Do you get? So, um, I think next week or the next time we have, we'll do how to study the Bible, the epistles. Well, after that time, you come out as a boss. <laughs> it doesn't matter how sincere a person is. Let me tell you something. I told you that the people out there that are doing rubbish, it's easy to identify that this one is just teaching nonsense. But sincere people that love God, that love you and you love them. Sometimes it's difficult to spot that this person is teaching something that is wrong, almost all his teachings are wrong. Sincere people, and I know some of them, some of my minister friends, that are young like me, do you understand? They love God. They want the best for their people. They have zeal. But what they teach contradicts what the Bible says. They don't want to listen. The strongest, like I said, the strongest demon hmm, is preconceived notion. Preconceived notion. Okay, sorry. Preconceived, that is... Okay, preconceived, that is... Conceived is to... The one you already, a, a notion, an idea you already have. So if I'm... If you have an idea that this is a Bible, if it's a dictionary, you won't accept. You say it's Bible. Something you've been taught over the years. Yes. An idea you just have. I heard that there was a, I think it's a true life story. They told the guy they're going to place hot iron on his back. God, prepare for it. Now he placed ice block on his back and he burnt him. Is, is, is your mind is that strong? Do you understand? Your mind. You know about the monks now that do crazy things. You see someone carry drill that should bore hole through metal. The place you just stay. I love action, action. So I watch wrestling. Sometimes I watch. Um, Martial arts guys versus Kung Fu fighter. There was one. A, now, one of the strongest people in punch. Uh, really, the strongest people in punch is boxers. They are very strong. The boxer will knock a wrestler off with a punch. It's a given. I've accepted it. I love wrestling, but it's the truth. You see, a boxer. A boxer is not allowed to punch any other person besides a boxer. And if he's not in the ring. He can just be life imprisonment. It's terrible. Their punches are too strong. A boxer we punch a Shaolin monk. The guy will stand. Mind. He has trained his mind. His mind doesn't feel the pain. His body doesn't feel the pain. In fact, he said that you are, the amount, the weights you can lift 
is limited by your mind. Have you not heard about people that pulled train, pulled aeroplane? You've not heard of this is one they say he pulled the aeroplane with his teeth. They'll tie a rope to the aeroplane, hold it like this and pull the plane. It's not it's his mind. Your mind is that strong. Do you understand? So when you decide that this is a dictionary or this is a Bible, I'll open it. You see advanced Oxford Learners Dictionary. You see, this is the revised standard. You, you understand? Revised standard version. Do you understand? It's that strong. I'm looking for maybe a simple example that I'll drive the point to. One that will hit you below the belt. Just one that will drive the point home. But really, you see simple scriptures that mean this, but you'll not agree. So most of those people, they already have strong beliefs about... Like, many of us here have strong beliefs. Okay, many of us, most of us... Like, Should I give you an example? Should I give you an example? Go and read it contextually. Hmm? Romans chapter 8, verse 14. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Guess what he was talking about? That if you have the Spirit of God, you will not commit sin. Like, if you are, sorry, if you are yielded to the Spirit of God, it's the same thing as walk in the Spirit and you will not be fulfilled the loss of flesh. Yes. You will not believe it. That's not talking about being led by the Spirit. Read it contextually. I told you I wanted to give you one that hit you below the belt. You, you can't even imagine that that's not what... Romans 8, down is study. Remember we talked about verse 11. With the Spirit of Him that does it. It looks very simple because when you look at it, it's talking about resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And hey, the spirit that rose from the dead is in you. He will raise you to, from the dead. But you really don't think that's what it means. You might still be struggling. I feel like, no, this is a scripture for healing. It's talking about the resurrection of the last day. Read it contextually. Read verse 12, 13, 14. 15, you realize he's talking about when he said as many as are led by the Spirit of God. He was talking about if you yielded to the Spirit, you would live like the Son of God, you will not sin. So don't look, when I'm talking, when I'm teaching about how to, study, don't be thinking about people. Think about yourself. Don't be thinking about one minister out there that wears only red shirts and carries bell. Think about normal people that love you and love God. Is that okay? Now, I don't teach you these things to criticize people. Do you understand? Many times, and I even give example of people, these are people I sincerely love, I talk to, I talk with, I pray about. Do you understand? But I won't take notes in their meetings. Mm-hmm. I might not even attend. Do you understand? If I attend, we had to see somebody and they say the person is around and I just have time, so I just went. Because if he has to do it, edification from the word, you know I can get it. Is that clear? Mm. All right.